Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm a bunny. Uh, that means he is an Ardenweld, because, yeah, you get to turn into things. I got turned into a unicorn. I'm quite okay with that. That's a thing that's... Actually, no, I just meant that I'm a bunny. Oh, well, congratulations. That's, that's all true, but I, I haven't been turned to a bunny in Ardenweld. I'm just a bunny. Well, fair enough. Well, congratulations, Bunny Rossi. Well, uh, today we're going to go through some of our, our last set of questions that we have from you folks. Uh, we are very appreciative of all the ones that you've sent in. Uh, we're going to go through them, and I think after this we're going to probably take a break from questions and start doing some other stuff. I know, exciting, isn't it? Uh, but we're going to go ahead and get through these and hopefully give you some more insight into the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful world of lore that is entertainment. Uh, and if you do have questions or comments or things you think that we should cover in more in-depth, be sure to send them in. You can send them in to us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. That's singular podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, if you are a patron, you can go ahead. We have a patron supporter uh, basically a, a, a chat section where you can ask your questions and we will look to there and uh, see what you have to say because it's great. Uh, and then if you don't have our Patreon, you can go ahead and we have a regular channel set aside uh, for just Q and podcast questions, which you can throw them in there as well. But without further ado, I think we can go ahead and get started. Uh, this first one comes from Vertigree. Uh, kind of long. Please don't feel the need to read everything out loud. Well, I'll read as much as I want to. Thank you very much. Uh, as Margrave uh, Akarak says in Afterlives, if Maldraxxus fails in its duty, the Shadowlands will fall. Its job is being the shield, and I wondered how. I'd like to propose a theory, lean, leaning once again onto the cosmology chart. I believe in this case we can take this section of the chart, literally, undeath and necromancy being in the way of invaders. And I know from World Quest that the Primus won countless battles against invaders inside Maldraxxus itself. I know we haven't really gotten much evidence in other zones of the Necrolords helping out in the past, but I really think this is because most forces have to get through Maldraxxus first. It's like a Dyson Sphere, or half of one. Uh, as for the confirmed big invasions I know about, I feel the Void could most easily go around with portals, and Zarali says the Light's numbers were vast and accountable, and could have ignored or pushed past Maldraxxus in their anger. Uh, eternally, Vertigree. Uh, no, disagree. Totally. Don't think you're right. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, first off, the uh, the Light's invasion into Revendreth couldn't even defeat the forces of Revendreth, much less Maldraxxus. They couldn't just push past Maldraxxus to go to Revendreth. Uh, if you had said they used a portal to get there, I'd have believed that more than I would have believed. And in fact, it certainly seems what you see when you do Revendreth, I literally just did Revendreth, um, it, it seems more like they literally just appeared in Revendreth. Like straight to it. They didn't. They didn't take any detours. They didn't go through any place else. Uh, we're not entirely. We don't know how the light and the void get places. We know that the void is so good at getting places that your void elf can just open shadowy portals and travel through the void anytime they want. And it seems that the void and the light both kind of exist everywhere. They're like two pr primordial universal forces that created existence between them. Uh, so I'm not. I'm not sold on them having to get through Maldraxxus to go anywhere. Uh, and I, I, I'm willing to buy the idea that they can make portals and go wherever they want. Uh, but I'm certainly, I'm not of the opinion that they're the only ones who can do that. Um, and we know for a fact that, 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 that there are entities that exist that can go wherever they want in Shadowlands because 
Look at the brokers. We've spent a long time talking about them. They have the capability of going wherever they want. To think that well, they would be the only ones capable of doing that would be foolish. Well, plus, if you look at how Ouroboros exists and how it functions, I mean, you go from Ouroboros through the in-between to every place. The in-between goes to every place, and Maldraxxus is just one place. Like, it's not... The portals are all set up. You can see the weird. If you, when you're traveling from Orobos to another to another realm like Revendreth or Ardenweald or Maldraxxus, look at the sky and look at the swirly bits behind each. You can see like as you go towards a place, there's like a swirly bit behind the portal. That's the color of that zone. Mm-hmm. Like the Revendreth one is red. The the Maldraxxus one is like kind of a sickly green. The Ardenweald one is a much nicer color. Um, I forget the Kyrian one's probably bluish. But you you can basically tell. Okay, this you, without even if you don't pay attention, if you didn't pay attention, didn't know what portal you just went through, and you were just flying towards it, you could you'd know which one it was by the color behind it. So the in between seems to go to every Shadowland. I don't think Maldraxxus has any. I much I'm much more likely to believe that Maldraxxus is a response team type of situation where something invades one of the other realms. Maldraxxus is supposed to send people to help. Uh, then I'm to believe that they're like the shield that everybody goes through. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm I'm on that same camp, right? Like that makes the most logical sense to me because honestly, we don't even come in through Maldraxxus. Think about that. Like, yes, we we get out of the mall and we go to Oribos, but when we start our journey, even with the like the leveling experience, Maldraxxus is the second place we go, not the first. And, and it, the people in Oribos definitely. They seem to be like Oribos is the the is like a nexus point, but even Oribos isn't the way you must go through. Mm-hmm. Although if you do like if you get on a mount in say Bastion and you want to go to Revendreth, you will go through um, Oribos. You'll kind of fly through the portal. You end up on a mono worm. You come out, then you go through the next portal. So it 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 definitely I've said before, and I'm sure we talked about this last week. The place reminds me of Babylon Five. Yeah. Or if if you want to use Star Trek, it reminds me of Deep Space Nine, where you've got like that way stationy feel to it. Um, but I definitely don't think Maldraxxus is that. Maldraxxus feels like the place they put all the lunatics. Um, we have an email that's actually going to talk more about that, so I don't want to get too into depth right this second. But the, Maldraxxus feels like the place you put people who are conflict oriented, yeah. not necessarily murderers or killers, but conflict oriented. And that conflict orientation can be mental, it can be physical, it can be both, and it can be different kinds. Like, look, just look at the fact that we got Draka and Lady Vosh, both of whom kind of have spy training, but look at the difference in how they approach their conflict resolution. Uh, but I definitely think that's Maldraxxus to a T. Maldraxxus is the place you go if you, if you either embody or enjoy or can't think of a way to do without conflict. Yeah, conflict is what shapes you. Then, then that's Maldraxxus. I don't think it's because Maldraxxus is the shield protecting the Shadowlands. I think it is, but part of the reason that Maldraxxus exists is to defend the Shadowlands. But I think Maldraxxus's existence defends the Shadowlands from Maldraxxus. At the same time, we put everybody who just can't get along in this one place and let them set up a hierarchy for themselves based on conflict, and then we use that to defend the realm. And the Primus seems to be. The Primus is one of those guys that I'm really fascinated by and I'd like to see more about. And I think that's part of my problem with Maldraxxus in general right now, or at least the story of the Shadowlands, is it doesn't, even though they're in disarray and even though they're in like this state of like civil war and flux, 
there's nothing that indicates any of the functionality before we get there, if that if that makes sense. Like, we're told that they were, like, this elite force of defense of the Shadowlands, and that if Maldraxxus falls, you know, or fails in its steadfast duty, that the Shadowlands falls. But nothing of that has really been explained. And and I think that's part of my problem with the whole story, like, Maldraxxus as a whole. What does that mean? How is that defined? There are entities we interact with that have been there, you know, since the Primus was there, and we don't hear anything about that. And we hear that the Primus was this, you know, great big, you know, Billy B.A. that, you know, won a million fights or won countless fights against invaders, but where and what? And the only invasion things we hear about don't involve Maldraxxus at all. Uh, The two, and, and you pointed this out earlier, we have the Void and the Bastion, which, as we're reliving that, it's not Maldraxxus that pushes the Void back. It's literally the the folks of Bastion. It's the Kyrian. They fight that back. They, they, they're they the ones that take that fight to the Void that, that's trying to take over or infest into Bastion. And then when we deal with the invasion of uh, Revendreth, or we don't even deal with it when we hear about it, you don't hear anything about Maldraxxus showing up. It, it's literally the Venthyr took care of the problem. Lord, Sire Denathrius... Uh, and whatever he was doing at that time took care of the Light's invasion, and there's nothing about Maldraxxus being involved. And, you know, with everything that's happening with Ardenweld, uh, and again, I understand Maldraxxus is in that Civil War scenario right now, but even then, there are no Maldraxxus forces being deployed to an active invasion spot uh, inside of Ardenweld. It's literally the Wild Hunt is dealing with it, and you, as the if you choose it as your... Uh, as your covenant. So like Maldraxxus is got no evidence of anything or no history to tell us what exactly they've done or what exactly they fought against. To me, it seems almost like what you're saying is, is true that this is where all those people that are conflict oriented go, but almost as if that's the lie that they were told. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, you, I think, go, go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, you guys, uh, you guys are going to be the elite, uh, elite fighting force, but you go ahead and stick out here and hang out and and battle amongst yourselves, and then everybody just kind of like walks away as like the college kids or uh, the frat boys are beating each other up. There, there certainly is a certain feel of that. I mean, that's one of the things. If you look at the way Maldraxxus quote unquote functions, as best it does function, I mean, it's kind of hard. Maybe we're judging it harshly because it is in the Anima Drought Civil War phase of its existence. There's no Primus to give it order. Um, clearly, where the Primus there. People like Virez get stomped. Mm-hmm. I mean, look what happens when you open the the seat of the Primus. Virez and his forces get stomped. Like the place just wipes them out. I definitely feel like the Primus himself was more savvy as to what was going on with the the various Shadowlands, and it feels like the current state of the Shadowlands was set up after Zoval's banishment. And there's a question: if they're the Eternal Ones who are each deployed to their you know they each existed in their in their realm for like before anybody else ever came there which we we are, we hear both about the uh, archon and about the winter queen what realm was zoval ruling before he got banished you know i've been thinking about that a lot actually and just running around the maw i'm noticing some things that yes it's probably convenient because of game stuff but as you're going through the maw the Maw looks more like a devastated zone than one that was shaped to be its current form, if that makes sense. Like, you walk around and there's pieces of ruin. There looks like there's those same uh, soul cages or 
anima reanimator things that are in every other zone in place of graveyards. There's a ton of them there. Why? And for that matter, since you're pointing that out, why why is there a first one's gateway there? Exactly. If you're building a prison, why did you build a prison with a gateway? Yeah, and which... It, this it, makes me wonder if the Maw was the oldest realm. Yeah, like if it was the first realm and... The one that actually had, like, first one stuff in it. The place where they were supposed to all come together. Because Ouroboros is not a realm. No. And it's that's, like, the thing that keeps coming to mind is... If Ouroboros, the quote-unquote eternal city, is so eternal, why is it wholly constructed? It's not on a plane. It's not on any land. It's just floating in, in the void of the in-between. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff we don't know about the Shadowlands yet that we could find out through this expansion, or we might not find out at all. I don't I don't know. They might just never address it. But you're, you're right about... What you're saying about Maldraxxus makes sense to me as well. I mean, the things we both said, I think that... I do think that there is a the premise of the of the Mal, of Maldraxxus is that they're the force that defends the Shadowlands, and we did see some them defending against some stuff during the the uh, Afterlife short. We did see a little of that, but I also think to a certain degree, it is the lie that they were told or tell themselves that so that they have a purpose because beings without purpose don't fight very well. If you don't give them a purpose, you're not going to have your world of conflict. They're going to stop after a while. If they don't think it has a, it serves a purpose, you know, eternity is a very long time. Yeah. So, and I mean, the other thing is we've talked about this before. People die for real in the Shadowlands. It feels like when you die on Azeroth, you go to the Shadowlands, you can die for real. Like you can die what they call the true death when you're just gone. Or if you're not just gone, you know, you, nobody in the Shadowlands knows about it. So feels like Maldraxxus is sort of a valve where people go who just want to fight. And they're not necessarily bad people. They're not necessarily the kind of people you want to try to rehabilitate or put in the maw. But they're a problem. They're an irritant. They're not going to go along with, you know, whatever you come up with for in Ardenweald or Revendreth or Bastion. They're not going to just follow along and just do what they're told. Maldraxxus is the good place for those people. It's a good place to put people who aren't just followers. So, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, it, there's a good chance we'll find out more as things move along because that's sort of how this whole thing works. Yeah, we got to remember we, we're literally just in the early phases of this expansion. I mean, we the first raid just got cleared. Uh, it hasn't even been cleared on Mythic yet, but but you know we know the basic shape of the storyline so far. Things are progressing, um, so can't be too you can't be too impatient with it. There's a lot more expansion before we get to the end of this. Yeah. There is. So bear that in mind. Uh, and again, we'll find out more as things move along. Uh, our next question comes from Monopoly Guy. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Uh, more of a speculation question than a lore one, but involves the beginning of the reign of the Eternal Ones. I've only heard two references so far, but the Winter Queen was said to have woken up in Arnweld when the realm had already been formed, with no definite knowledge except her job and what she had to do. And the Archon was said to have already been ancient when Bastion was created. I guess my question is, has the origins of the other Eternal Ones been mentioned anywhere I've missed? And how much truth do you think there is in the stories I just mentioned? Also, do you think there is an Eternal One ruling over each of the infinite realms of the Shadowlands? How dangerous do you think the one presiding over the Broker's Realm would be? This is another one where we don't know a whole lot, and again, it is sort of a wild speculation thing. Uh, we don't know a lot about the Eternal Pantheon and how they were all born. I think to a certain extent, as you do 
the Covenant stuff for each of them. I think you might get more bits and pieces of it. I can't really speak to anything beyond Ardenweld, uh, which is where that little blurb comes from that, you know, the Queen woke up. But also, as you deal with the Queen, you get... Uh, the traditional sense of fae trickery, if that makes sense. So, like, in classic folklore, fairies were not exactly the most trustworthy of individuals. Uh, Often, like, that classic, you know, ask for something, but if you're not overly specific and give them wiggle room, they're going to do something that's going to to not fulfill your request completely, or they're going to have fun with it. Trickster thing, things like that. All of that makes perfect sense here, and we see that. It's one of the first things you interact with them with. Uh, Literally, the first thing you do in the zone is help somebody play a trick on somebody else. Um, But when you're dealing with the Winter Queen, there's sort of this air of, I don't know if what she's telling me is actually true, or if she's just telling me what I need to hear to get my job done. And so there's a certain vagueness of that. Plus, there's also, like, one one character you'll meet as you do Arnwield is a talking mushroom. Oh, yeah, um, the, the Mario reference. <laughs> yeah. Maris, yeah, Marisimus, Marismus. I'm not sure, like, how you pronounce his name, to be completely honest. But um, he's interesting in that he's, like, he's based on the idea of a mushroom colony. I don't know if you guys know that some funguses can be massive. Uh, in the real world, there's a, there's a mushroom colony, a fungus colony in Oregon that is, like, t- thousand square kilometers across and it's one entity it's one being essentially it's it's one big fungus uh and that's it has buddings and and things that look like mushroom caps to us that come up but the thing itself is just one massive entity marisimus is like that with ardenweed the teleport network across the, the 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 zone is this mushroom thing and it talks about like being the only th- it in the winter queen being the only thing in the zone at one point like when went back in the very very distant past, he makes a reference to just being him and the queen, and he says she was very busy back then. But he doesn't say what she was busy doing, and he says that he remembers the last time the Drust invaded Ardenweald, which so, nobody else seems to. Yeah, and like this no seems like else. this is like that's that was news to me when I heard it. it's like so this isn't the first time they've tried this, huh? Interesting. But apparently, you know, he remembers it, and nobody else seems to, which implies that there's a certain amount of recycling. Like people don't stay in Ardenweald forever. Either they die the true death or they move on to someplace else. Even the ones that are like currently committed to being part of the wild hunt or committed to being part of the court might eventually leave one way or another. So all I can really say about this is that I, I think that we're 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 kind of we're dealing with beings that have existed for so long that it is very hard for us with our A, they've existed for a very long time, and B, time doesn't really work there. Yeah, because there's like no there's here. no sense of real mortality there. So like time sort of loses meaning when mortality is not well, a thing. I, I don't necessarily think it's it's just that. I think it literally doesn't work there. No, yeah. yeah they they've made statements to the effect of there is no time in the Shadowlands. Like you you're in the Shadowlands and you you experience time because you're a limited being that that needs time to function, but they don't. They're they're beings that for whom time no longer has meaning. And it might not even work. So it's very difficult to know how long she's been there, how long any of them have been there. The Archon claims to be, you know, ageless beyond time. And what, like, you know, like you said, was ancient when Bastion wasn't even there yet. And the Winter Queen, I mean, the Winter Queen was there in the realm that is now Ardenweald, but Ardenweald itself, like the, all the stuff that makes it what it is, wasn't there. Like there's even a point, I, I think it's when you first join the Covenant, 
Uh, you were just talking about it, so I think it's it's around that time. When you first show up, uh, I can't remember her name, the little, the Moonberry. little fairy. Yeah, she starts telling you a story about how when the first mortal spirit arrived in Ardenweald, uh, she was the, the Winter Queen was like, why are you here? You know, she didn't have any, like, why would you come here? And and that's interesting because, you know, if the place, the realm is about tending to spirits and, and getting them ready to return back to the, the mortal realm, but she was just as surprised as anybody to see a mortal spirit there. And the spirit was like, she's like, well, can I stay? Can I help? And she was like, all right, tend to the spirits here. And, and the spirit, they were like, how do I do that? I don't have a body anymore. And so that's where the, the ability to take physical form in Ardenweald comes from that. All the people who are like, you know, Volson, who's now a bear, or the, the squirrel guy, Chua, they were people once, and then they took on those forms when they go to Ardenweald. That's something that the Winter Queen gave them so that they could have a form. Yeah, that's where soul shape came from. And that's that took place at like an unimaginably distant time. We That's the story. As Joe pointed out, you can't entirely trust these people. I mean, if you if you watch that quest where you do the little play of your life, they there's one part where the one that's playing Jaina keeps trying to murder everything. Mm-hmm. And they're like, he, she didn't do that. And they're like, ah, oh, come on, you're kidding me. Uh, and that's like the kind of thing you see. They, they have their own perspective on all this stuff. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to think about the sort of like the origins for all of the other ones because we don't, again, we don't know anything. So if you've played through any of the other uh, covenants and you've gotten any more information on it, let us know because I'm actually legitimately curious because like with Revendreth, you know, the only f- point of reference you have is the Resistance and Prince Renathal, who mm, doesn't exactly like Sire Denothrius. Uh, we don't know how long after Sire Denothrius was born that he decided to create Prince Renathal, uh, his quote-unquote son and heir. Uh, we don't know why he did that, if he's eternal, uh, or if he knew what his purpose was from the very beginning. Although, with him, there seems to be more more remembrance of what happened earlier on, at least in the interactions that you do have with him, with his like mustache-twirling villain speech, uh, because he seems to remember more about the jailer than the other ones do. He seems to have a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say, like, say he remembers more, uh, cause they all seem to remember it just fine. I think he they, remembers they, differently. I think it's more that, you know, he's willing to tell you more about it would be my take. Oh, on okay. It. I could see that. Cause when he's like, he's doing his whole speech, he, he, there's like the bit where the primus, the primus is thing where he's like, you know, he talks about ancient allies, he specifically mentions that he's, you know, he's got, you know, he, he did what he did with the help of, of ancient forces or ancient allies. I forget exactly what he says, but he mentions that there was somebody helping him back then. And, you know, Sergeant Athreus is very upfront about like, you know, yes, all this is happening. You know, he, he's the one who's going to reshape death. He definitely feels like Denathrius may never have been on board with what they did to Zoval. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, yeah, this is definitely going to work. I'm not sure. But it doesn't feel like they've forgotten anything. Like when you when you do that bit with the covenants coming together, and Sire, you know, Prince Renathal is the one that shows up instead of Denathrius, and uh, the Archon's like, "Why are you here? <clears throat> what is our brother doing?" And he's like, "He has betrayed you." Blah blah. They don't like. They're like immediately on board. Like they understand. Oh, this is bad. He's put the he's put all the anima into the maw. What what you know? That's that's awful. I just, I don't see them as not remembering. I just see them as never, the problem with the Eternal Ones, all of them, is that they don't understand that they should be telling you what's going on. 
Like they only tell you what they think is important at the moment. They don't share information. Right now, we should have somebody doing a, this is the whole story of the jailer thing. So somebody aside from the people who never have to worry about consequences because they're eternal could look at the situation and try and come up like with a solution to it. And it's not even just them too. Like it's also the uh, hand of the arbiter, the voice of the arbiter, the, the will of the arbiter, all of those folks, uh, the tenders or whatever, I forgot what their actual name is. Uh, but like, they know what's going on for the most part. They know that story. They make references to knowing about it. They don't tell you. They just said, yeah, the purpose will, the purpose will just, you know, tell you what you need to know, but you know, you're here. I'm in front of you. Tell me. And they just don't, uh, and they don't know everything, but they know enough. They know more than we do. And they just don't share. Like there's this weird, weird concept of, it's almost like being in another world, uh, like and having sort of this alien perception of what's important or what's not important uh and everything seems mechanically very rigid if that makes sense like once something has a purpose in the shadowlands it seems like it adheres to that no matter what no matter whether it's useful or helpful or hurtful they just keep doing it um and like it's it's one of those frustrating things because, like you said, like this is the point where we should be sitting them down and going, "No, tell us everything," and you know, or asking more specific questions. But instead, we're getting half answers, or it's it's an interesting. It's honestly, trope. like they forget that we don't know what they know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. But I think that's that's gonna do it for that one because simply we just we don't know. Like it's a lot of speculation and guessing, but I have a feeling that as the again, as Shadowlands progresses, we'll get more insight into it, but I don't think it's gonna be from those individuals. I think we're going to find them ourselves, or maybe Anaru will tell us, or maybe a goddess will tell us what's what's up. Who knows? Uh, we have two back-to-back questions here coming back from Tetsemi. Uh, we'll start with the first one here. Question for Lorewatch. Uh, more question about Bastion based on the Maldraxxus Covenant story. You take Alexandros Morgraine to Bastion to clean out the last of the Maldraxxi from the invasion there. After completing that, he has a conversation with the Paragon of Courage about why he wasn't chosen to go to Bastion by the Arbiter. This leads you to taking him on the reflection walk that you do in the leveling quest. What you find is that his memories are his strength, not a burden, and therefore the loss of his memories would remove that strength. What does that say about the folks sent to Bastion? And there is an attachment here, uh, and in that image there is a, uh, a set of quotes back and forth. So this is Xandria says, The Arbiter saw that your memories are not a burden, but your source of strength. That is why you belong in Maldraxxus. Morgan replies, I see that now. Honor may have forsaken Maldraxxus, but together we will restore what has been lost. And then go on, champion. I would like a moment to reflect. So what do you think that means as those that choose Bastion or are sorted into Bastion, I should say? Do you think that has a uh, a statement on the, the burden of their memories of their of who they are? Well, I mean, there's a lot of back and forth during Bastion. If you're doing the Bastion stuff, there's a lot of back and forth on whether or not Bastion is on the right path in the first place. Yeah. I definitely think that in Mograine's case, it's probably fair enough. I think it goes back to that idea that some people are conflict-oriented. Um, Mograine approached everything as conflict his whole life. Uh, when the first, I, I think you know, this is a guy who was shaped by the first war. The first war happened. Then he became a paladin during the second war, just before it really. Uh, and his life from that moment on had just up until his death was spent in continuous conflict. When they finally finished with the, the the horde, 
and you know he'd gotten his hand fixed after it got blighted touching the crystal that would eventually become part of of the ashbringer immediately like you know he barely got a chance to to breathe and have a wife and kids when the you know the the third war starts and the the for the undead the scourge are all over the place so it's a man who is made by conflict and who doesn't really think I, I i don't if you took the the memory away from him you'd be taking the conflict away from him like if he didn't remember who he was the idea that his memories are his strength i think that's the case for most people um most people aren't that's one of the things i find interesting about bastion because ultimately very few people will retain their purpose if you take away their memory because they won't remember the things that made them who they are they won't remember the drive that that they have see and that's what's interesting to me about Bastion is like, how do you get anybody like you? The thing is about Bastion is what they want people to be able to do in Bastion is to be utterly impartial. They want people who will do the job of ferrying souls to the Arbiter without any personal opinion about what they should be doing with them. And that's, I think, interesting and possibly not really possible. I I would agree with you that I think that it is an impracticality that it would always be like it be like that, especially with everyone involved. And that's one of the things you see as you're dealing with just the leveling experience uh, when you're talking about like the different aspirants and dealing with them and how some of them fail. And especially like I, th- I thought this was really interesting when you're leveling and you go through and you there's this quest that you have to sort of talk with failed aspirants. And get them to get back on the path, uh, and some of them just can't. There, there's an entire thing where one of them, in particular, just cannot. He does not have the ability to let go. His burden's too great, uh, and he sort of relapses into uh, forsworn status. Would be the best way to really put it, because he gives up. He gives up this idea of cleansing himself and 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 all that. And I found that fascinating because. That has to happen a lot. We've talked about that before, but then it makes me wonder of all the people that we've seen get sorted in there. We saw Uther get sorted into to Bastion, which seemed weird to me, especially because with Uther, it, it was almost like a statement of like his sense of duty was more than the sum of his memories. But that wasn't the case. The sum of his memories were are, are what are making him so strong and such a a difficult foe for you to face when you're, you know, going against him and, and the Forsworn inside of Bastion, at least from what I can tell. I don't know how the story for that progresses as, as you do the, the Covenant stuff. But I always thought that was interesting. So did did the Arbiter make a mistake? Is that something that happens? Is Bastion seemingly the only place that those mistakes are made? Like, how does that process entirely work? The other thing that I thought was interesting is, and I've been thinking about this a lot, is had Arthas been taken to the Arbiter instead of being thrown directly into the Maw, would he have wound up in Bastion? And it's the idea of if you strip all of the memories from Arthas, is his sense of duty strong enough that it would compensate? I think the answer is yes. I think it's at least possible because if you look at Arthas's life, the thing that failed him, there were two, there were two problems Arthas had. One was that he couldn't accept failure. Yeah, that's one. And that, that led to a huge amount of the problems in his life. Uh, He had a tremendous sense of his own ability and he would often do things, take risks, take chances. The whole bit with invincible, the whole reason for the invincible subplot isn't just so we can see how sad it is that his horsey died. It's to show that he killed the horse. Yeah. 
He wasn't listening. He wasn't paying attention. He just believed that he could do it. And he had that belief in himself without any sense of, you know, the consequences. Like he didn't understand, no, you, you're not listening. You're going to get us killed. Uh, you're going to get that horse killed. And that's what he did. That's Arthas's biggest problem. The second problem, though, is that sense of duty. Everything that happened at Stratholme happened because he believed it was his responsibility. Yeah, he believed it was the right thing to do, that it was the only course of action he could take. Yeah, but not just that. It was his responsibility. He'd seen what happened in other places. He'd been there. Um, I want to say Tears Hand, but I don't remember exactly where it was, where he it was just him by himself because Jaina and Uther weren't with him. Um, it's one of those bloody towns. I'm not going to remember it until like halfway through this podcast and be like, I'll shout the name of the place. But he saw the, the, the plague take people. He fo- barely fought his way out, lost a lot of his, his, the people that were with him doing it. So he believed it was his responsibility. That was his sense of duty. He was bred to a sense of duty. He was like, from the time he was a small child, he was told someday you will be king. And it, these are your people. You will have to protect them. Um, that's why he became a paladin, that sense of duty. So, yeah, uh, he had a very strong sense of duty that was practically ingrained in him from childhood. That will, that almost was. That's the thing I think about that sense of duty in Bastion is that there's people who learn to be who they are, mm-hmm. and there's people who never learn it. They they are molded to it from birth. They are shaped in it. Arthas and duty. That's very much a, a good. I think you're you're on, you're onto something there. Our, I think duty was very much a part of him to the point that when he when he lost his soul. And became a death knight. He just switched masters. Yeah, because Arthas is a death knight. Did everything for somebody else. He wasn't doing anything for himself until he became the Lich King. And then, as the Lich King, he believed that he was doing the right thing. Still, that only like an Azeroth that was like under the scourge could possibly triumph against the Legion. I think there's a certain amount of that. What what the what the Bastion process with the with the with the. Uh, aspirants go through the the hope is to strip away all emotional attachments to everything and replace it with that dutiful nature mm-hmm. basically say just this part of you we want to hone this part of you and have you be like that like it, it's it's interesting because it reminds me very much of the jedi yeah it really does Fire right Wars. like like the the classic jedi not the the pre-empire jedi like the or, um pre-republic jedi the the republic jedi where like it was very you know don't have emotion, don't have anything, have your sense of duty, yeah. be balanced. They don't, the, they don't go as far as to actually tell you to forget your life. But it's pretty but, close. But they're like, you know, don't it, you don't act on it, don't feel, you know, control your emotions, don't be in love, don't... There's a lot of that stuff. Avoid attachment. This is like, if you look at Bastion in terms of like, you know, it's like that idea of avoiding attachment taken to the ultimate extent of get rid of the attachments. Yeah, and even don't them, even have them. If you don't remember them, then they can't affect you. And even the new ones that they form, they're not exactly looked upon fondly. Like where there's that whole thing where there's two Kyrian. Uh, one is an archon of devotion, I think it was, um, and then their partner. Like that's it wasn't exactly a you know consented relationship as far as like the hierarchy goes because again it was something more well, than their sense of duty they do seem to have traditions of that sort of thing you go around and you put together a circlet so that one of them can basically pledge to the other they do seem to have that concept of you making attachments within their group because it feels like they understand you need something but you're not supposed to have it to your previous life no. and i'm not sure 
I think we're talking in circles at this point. Well, there's one other thing I wanted to add too, which is another another idle thought that I had about this. Uh, I've been talking with several of of our folks out there in listener land over the, since beta started about why Varian isn't around, and we've talked about it a bit. But one of the things that kept being brought up is why Varian, or if Varian, where he would have been sorted had he been gone, had he gone to the Arbiter, and a lot of people have been trying to make the case for Bastion. And my counter argument is this. I think Varian, even though he has that strong sense of duty that was molded into him from birth, is only Varian because of the sum of his memories. And the sum of his memories and life experience are what make him truly as strong as he was. Everything he went through, everything that he had from being split onward, all of that, all of that trauma, all that memory defined who he was. And I think we saw that throughout the course of several expansions, you know, when we had the War of the Three Hammers and he steps in. Where do you think he is? Because I have an idea here that I think you'll find amusing. Okay. I, 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 if anywhere, I think he'd be somewhere in Maldraxxus. Nope. Really? Okay, go somewhere, for it. Somewhere in a glen in Ardenweald, there's a big sleeping wolf. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, you know what? And that would make perfect sense. Yeah. The wolf curled up, taking a nap. And you interact with it, and it doesn't respond to you. Like, you can talk to it, and I think it just ignores you, right? Oh, man. that That's... That... Yeah. Okay. I can see that. I could see that. I could see him going to the wild hunt. <sighs> All right. Well, that's. I think that's enough I mean, of that especially one. Since, especially since he's connected to Lugosh. Yeah. And now, here's an idea. They keep talking about him being like Lugosh. We know that things die and go to, the, go to Ardenweald and then return to the mortal world. We don't know what they return as. Yeah, and there is the whole thing about... So there is that other section of Ardenweald where you do some of the lead-up stuff. I don't know if you've done it yet for the other side, where you do the lead-up quests. And... I just stuck my toe in. Okay. I so... just did the world boss today. Let me put it to you that way. Okay. So I think this this plays into this a little bit and a little bit of this idea and tangents. Y'all love them, right? Uh, so as you're doing the sort of lead up to the other side with Bomsamdi, it's Bomsamdi trying to get you, like literally the mask shows up, tells you, hey, we got work to do. Moizala's doing some weird stuff. Uh, and you're going through Ardenweld and you're looking at uh, different anima seeds, like the wild seeds that you find, the anima seeds that you find, uh, you're tracking down Loa that have been laid to rest to recover. And they're older Loa. Like, one of them is Dumbala, who is the snake Loa, um, who we haven't heard from since before Vanilla. Like, literally, that you hear references to it then, but there's nothing in between. Um, so it's been there for a long, long time. And they sit in the garden of the queen until such a time that they're going to be rebirthed. Because that's the other thing we do see when you're doing Ardenweld, is that the queen can take a soul from the Anima Seed and make it be reborn and send it back to wherever it's from. But the interesting thing, and I noticed this the other day, is when you do the conservatory stuff, and as you're going through that, every single one that you send back is a deity of some type. At least that's the way they're labeled. It's, you know, god of whatever, or deity of this, or loa of this. So, and we know that things can become loa they can become revered they can become intertwined with that what if we get 
another wolf, not necessarily Logosh because Logosh already exists. But what if Varian comes back as another, like a powerful spirit, a wild god, a Loa? I could see that happening because even though he's ta- like, if that is the wolf, if that is him, which please, if that is, that'd be absolutely fantastic. They can choose to go back. Like, that's one of the things. Like, they're not just stuck there in service. You know that from doing the quests. You can literally go and, and interact with them and says, my time to go back isn't now. That's some of the NPCs say that. They know that they can leave when they so choose to. It's just not right that second. So what happens if he wakes up one day and says, yeah, it's time for me to go back? I think that would be absolutely the, the variant thing to do. His, I don't think his work is done. I think he knows his work isn't done, but he's doing what he's got to to get back to that point. And he's learned enough in his life to know that he can't just go rushing in. I'm, I'm here for it, man. I'm here for it. I, I love that idea. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one is also from Tetsemi. I think this is uh, this is also another interesting one with some speculation. Uh, from Leveling and Ardenwild, is this hole-in-the-chest thing significant that it's on the Drust and the Jailer or just an artistic choice? And there was an image included that shows one of the... Uh, the Drust Behemoths, I think it was. It was one of the ones that was fighting in Hibernal Hollow. Uh, and in the center of their chest, very much like the Arbiter and very much like uh, the Jailer, there's a hole there. And it looks like, from what I can tell, that is where their weird, greasy, janky soul energy is being like shoved into. Um, I think it is significant, but I don't think it's the same way that the Jailer's hole in his chest. Like, the Jailer seems like it's an absence of something like a piece of him isn't there with the drust that looks like that's where that soul energy their their souls are basically shoved into the wicker man body uh if that makes sense and i think that's significant because i think they may have learned that from observing like things like the arbiter who seems to have something very similar going on or some of the other constructs because even when you're in like Torghast and you're beating up the uh, armor constructs and stuff like that they have a very similar motif going where whatever's powering them is shoved into like the center hole uh what do you think about um i mean we know that these the things that the dress use are either constructs or they have those masks that they put on Faye and then possess them it feels like the, with the Drust, they're literally riding around using the body of the Fae that they're possessing as kind of a, like a vehicle, for lack of a better word. I don't think that it's the same thing as what we're whatever's going on with the Jailer, uh, but it might be related to it, and that the Jailer might have had. I don't. I hesitate to say this because I don't know how it would work. The Jailer might have had his soul pulled out. Mm-hmm. Like the Jailer well, might not have a soul. Like right now, it might be the whole reason that he's held there, because his soul. His the him of him is somewhere else, possibly in Tar- in Torghast, possibly like like chained in the maw or something. And the thing that we see is like what's left of him without it. I, I don't know how that works, but it's something I keep thinking about. Yeah, and, and part of the thing that I was thinking about, and this was was tossed around a little bit ago, was that the hole in his chest looks like it would fit for whatever reason, whatever is in the the chest of the arbor. And if we go back to one of our earlier. Uh, conversations about the Maw in general, I'm wondering if maybe that was the original realm, and I'm wondering if the Jailer is incomplete. Um, they keep saying, they call him the Broken One a lot, too, which I find fascinating. I've only seen the Banished One. I haven't seen the Broken One. I've, I've seen that he's referred to as, like, the Broken One, uh, the Banished One, the... Like, so I'm wondering if there is a sense of incompleteness to him, if maybe he was failing in his duty, uh, whatever was originally 
prescribed to or subscribed to him or, or ascribed to him, excuse me. And maybe part of him was ripped out and repurposed while the rest of him was shoved away because we do know from dealing with other things throughout all of the Shadowlands that pieces of your anima, pieces of your soul can be cut away. Like that's part of the whole thing of Bastion. You're cutting away the memories and leaving a functional core behind. Um, Ardenweld, there's a lot of that going on too, where like you can be reshaped and pieces of you can be given away or infused or used for whatever. Uh, Revendreth, you are literally chopping pieces of sin away from folks uh, for consumption or animal use, and then they can still be reshaped or reborn or pushed somewhere else. So there is this interesting idea that maybe the jailer is incomplete for a reason, and maybe that plays into the the greater story of what actually happened when the Shadowlands was first founded. But we have no idea right now. Obviously, that's just all weird, wild speculation. Um, I think we can move on to our next one, unless you have anything you want to add to that. No. All right. Uh, this one comes from T.S., uh, I came back to WoW during BFA, and I love Shadowlands. I play a Paladin, and I could not but think of these things while progressing. Uh, Anduin's character model kind of bugs me. All that armor always. Uh, Gen Greymane has had some wardrobe changes, and his getup makes more sense for someone mostly out of battle. Anduin's always in full plate armor. It's just unsettling. That's just me. Uh, you know, it I will... It doesn't bother me any, because Anduin is like a con combat machine. You can't stop that guy from fighting. He just throws himself into every war and conflict. The second he sees it, he just, you know smashes and crushes <laughs> with his, you know, reckless, destructive force. A uh, true um, master of battle, that man, Anduin, right? I will say so that... So I think it's completely and totally justified, yep. I will say that I, I think that is interesting that we haven't seen this version of Anduin outside of armor in a while, so maybe that'll change in the future after whatever his ordeal is in the Maw. Who knows? Actually, I'm going to say this. I think that was a deliberate choice, and I think it's an interesting one, because he spent the entirety of Battle for Azeroth on the back foot. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, this is not a guy who wants to be a wartime leader. Um, the very idea that he is High King of the Alliance, my problem with it has never been that he's, you know, that, that quite frankly, Stormwind is the largest and most populated and most powerful of the Alliance nations. This is just a fact. They've, there's more of them. They they bear the brunt of put, uh, having some, like, say, a, a dwarf or an elf in charge of the entire Alliance war effort would be a real problem for humans because, A, humans are kind of racist. We've seen this on a few occasions now. Oh, yeah, um, just a few. And, B, there's, like, ten times more of them than everybody else in the Alliance put together. There's just more of them. They are the, the backbone of the Alliance. They, they pay for most of everything. With the way things are going right now, I've never had that problem with humans being in charge. I have problems with Anduin being war leader. Yeah. Because he's not a war leader. He is not that's not his thing. He is not good at it. Alliance he he'd be an amazing diplomat king. The guy you want to be like heading the negotiations or trying to establish peace. Absolutely, he'd be great at it. They should definitely have appointed someone war leader. And there that's a role that I currently would love to see someone like Chandris or Magni, or somebody who's actually got A, more experience, and B, more perspective. Anduin is not a good perspective guy. No. Uh, and he's got a lot of stuff that's great about him, um, not just his his physical power. Like he, he, Let's face it, he's the only one who even stood up to the jailer for five seconds. Yeah. When they were getting caught by the jailer, he's the only one that even that, that even like provided any kind of like bulk to the jailer's power. And even he got like swept under, but he, he he's the only one who even like stood a chance. So yeah, he's got power. That's not the problem. The problem is he's not like if we were t putting him in a covenant, he would not go to Maldraxxus. 
No. He would probably go to Bastion. Yeah. Uh, he is that kind of guy. And that's not that's not a, a knock on him, but you want somebody who'd go to Maldraxxus to be in charge of your war effort. You know what I'm saying? You, you don't... To a degree, Uther would have been a terrible war leader. You know what I mean? Th- there's a reason that Uther wasn't in charge of the entire Alliance war effort back when the, the second war was going on. There's a reason it was Anduin Lothar. Because mm-hmm. Anduin Lothar was the kind of guy who'd go to Maldraxxus. In fact, I'm a little surprised we haven't seen him. Yet. Give it time. Yeah. Well, he might have very well you know, changed and taken on a new name, for all I know. Yeah, something but Primus, my, Primus, but something. Still, my point is, I think you're onto something in the fact that I think that this is a deliberate choice. I think Anduin has been forced into a role he was not ready for. I would agree. And that the, the him in armor all the time is the first sign of it. And I think what we saw at the end of Battle for Azeroth and in the novel, Shadows Rising, mm-hmm. and, you know, sh- shouts, you know, again, great novel, uh, that shows you what it was doing to him. He was feeling the strain. It was affecting him. He got short-tempered. His decision-making was was getting snappish. He was fraying. Yeah, and that's what you get when you take somebody who spent his entire life looking for a way to find peace and jamming him into armor and making him carry around his daddy's sword and making him do something he's not. Yeah, and you know, I think the the fact that it is unsettling is the point of it, right? Like, I think it's not supposed to make you comfortable. Um, I think it's supposed to be something you look at and don't feel comfortable with because of the character. And I, I think there is a deliberate choice there. Uh, and I think it's a... I'm not going to say it's a good choice in terms of uh, I like it. It's a good choice, and it definitely makes me feel a distinct way. So I think it was purposeful. Uh, the second question, because there are three here from TS, uh, if the main characters are stuck in the Maw, are technically still alive, and they perceive that they've been there for ages, do they need to go to the bathroom? Does the Maw have bathrooms? Does any place in the Shadowlands? The mess we characters are making must be ridiculous. The Maw, maybe not. Uh, but elsewhere, I think that there is an actual attempt uh, based off of the food that you get in Maldraxxus. They understand that we are living and have biological needs. They don't understand them completely, but they make an effort. At the very least, I'm going to guess that most of the zones give you a bucket. Just going to throw that out there. And Ardenwald, hey, it's free fertilizer. Who cares? Uh, but I think everywhere else, they, they probably make some form of accommodation for your biological needs besides banana beef pudding, which... Yeah, um, I don't think there's anything really to add to that unless you have any specific uh, scatological comments. Honestly, I, quite frankly, I just assume that since time doesn't actually exist there, you you never have to go. <laughs> you well, just be sitting around constantly going, oh, yeah, it feels like I've been here for like 300 years, but still having shit. Yep. And my gut doesn't hurt. I'm not hungry. Weird. And you just move on. Fair enough. Uh, the third question is for Bastion, and this is a spoiler warning uh, with it. I went to Bastion because my paladin would want to know why Uther was villainous. In the process, we find that the reason why everyone is going into the Maw is because the stupid angel guys are still throwing souls, and even though they know the Arbiter is KO'd. Uh, and the explanation is, we need to do this because we have to. This is the most ridiculous piece of story. It paints the good guys as stupid. And after we do Spires of Ascension, we hear that the Kyrians may need to change after we beat the Jailer. How about we do something now and stop chucking people into uh, proverbial hell? Drought solved. Uh, My character, if I could, would have spoken up and after learning this stupid revelation. Am I missing something? Talk some sense to this one. It just makes it feel like it ruins the story. I don't know if they specifically say that the Kyrian are chucking them into the Maw ever. Uh, I think that's just the default because the Kyrian, when you get there... They're not doing their job because they're not being called upon to do it. 
Like, yeah, basically, with the soul stream out of uh, you know out of whack, the Arbiter not doing their task, the Kyrian aren't going around harvesting people at all. But people are still ending up in the soul stream. I'm not 100% sure how that works. But I do think it goes back to what we were talking about before about the purpose. Kyrian don't really think about what they're doing. There's not a lot of examination there. We've covered this already, the idea that they want to be impartial. Once you've made somebody that impartial, they're like, well... What are we, you know, they didn't know that souls were going straight to the mall. They had no idea where souls were going. Mm -hmm. Like when you get there, they're like, I don't, I don't know. So I'm not sure about this. I, I haven't got that far in the Bastion storyline yet. So when I do, I'll be happy to talk more about it. But I definitely could see some of this stuff being wrote to them, to all of them. Because like Joe pointed out before, it's, these people don't, it's like they don't think about whether or not they should do anything. Like at one point. Somebody says, all these mortals in Bast in, in uh, Oribos, isn't this like weird? And the other one's like, no, if they're here, the purpose must have a reason for them being here. If something is happening, they assume the purpose is behind it. Yeah. They don't think about the why of things happening. It's happening. The purpose must be behind it. This must be part of the purpose. And that means that they're re really sanguine about everything. But it also means that they don't react. These are guys who... If you presented them with the trolley problem and said, okay, this trolley is going down here, it's going to run over those eight people unless you throw a switch, and then it only run over that one person, they'd be like, well, does the purpose, the, the purpose serve, must, the, if the train's going to run over eight people, the purpose must want that to happen. So why should I move it to run over that person? I have no way of knowing. There's no reason for me to believe the purpose wants that one person, because if they did, they would have put the train on that track. But the purpose didn't do that, so obviously the purpose wants these eight people run over, so I shouldn't do anything. Yeah, and from what I understand, like the only going back to the the Kyrians, the only ones that are doing any sort of snatching of souls into the Maw are the Maw Sworn, or possibly even some of the Forsworn. Uh, those are the ones doing it, not Kyrian, right? And there is a distinction between the two of them. So the Kyrian are the ones that have been elevated and gone through the ascension process and become part of Bastion fully and are still part of that path. Uh, the Mossworn are Forsworn, Kyrian that have, uh, or aspirants that have decided to veer from the path, not let go of their burdens, uh, but still get the, the shiny wings uh, that they have the ability to do the stuff that Kyrian do, but they're not Kyrian. They're a completely separate faction. And their purpose, their goal, is to serve their new master, in this particular case, uh, Freya, or, or Freya, um, Helia, uh, who is telling them, go get the, go get whatever souls you can carry and shove them into the maw because that's where my new boss wants them. So that's what you're going to do. And because they've gone through the process, they're still mostly, you know, born to that duty. They're doing what they're told to do. Like Matt pointed out, they're not thinking about it. They're just doing what they think they need to do to accomplish whatever goal is set before them. Uh, it just happens to be more unaligned from what their original purpose was. Uh, it's a very complicated, messy thing in terms of that. But I think that is something important to keep in mind. It's not the Kyrian throwing souls into the maw. They're not just doing that. Because even then, like, that's why the afterlife short was such a big deal and why the whole uh, Davos thing was a thing is because that wasn't even what they did then. They brought the souls to be weighed 
And then when the Arbiter decided where they went, they took them where they needed to go with very few ever getting dumped into the mob. They didn't just throw them in there. It wasn't just their default. Uh, and it wasn't like the Arbiter told them, hey, uh, or, or the, the Paragon or, or whatever her name is said, hey, just take all these souls and just chuck them in the mall. Arbiter's asleep. Just just go do that. Like, that's not what they're doing. And it is weird. And I think Bastion probably has one of the most complicated stories in terms of conflict and strife. Like, I think Revendreth is more straightforward than Bastion is, if that makes sense. Uh, mostly because Revendreth, yeah. at least we know who the villain is and what they're, at least mostly what they're dealing with. The problem with Revendreth, uh, this is a segue, but it's one I'm fresh in my mind because I was just playing it, is you get there and you know immediately that that guy is the bad guy, even if you don't know he's a raid boss. Even if you have not been paying attention, the the dude basically just walks out wearing like his his whole ensemble of I am the evil guy. It literally like he's practically you know nudging you when he says evil things. Like I don't know, man. It, it's like if you don't know Sire Den- Denathrius is the bad guy, then you're just literally not paying attention. Yeah, like a, a sort of a no, neon sign behind his head. Like all the other signs are there. There are no bad guys in Bastion. Everybody in Bastion, forsworn or not, thinks they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Devos thinks she is doing the right thing. Uh, Kirestia thinks she is doing the right thing. And they're all wrong in some way. They all are making some error. Even the Archon. Even the Archon admits it at the end of Spires of Ascension. You know, I, I've, I've always believed that mortality, you know, would skew us. It, it would be too great. It would be too great a, a burden. But it was the deeds of mortals that saved us today. So there's a lot to consider in this whole thing. And that's, I don't, I don't think they're just chucking souls in. But again, you know, Devos's point is that, you know, Devos comes out of this. Devos listened to the jailer and the jailer convinced Devos that the that they'd done an injustice to him, that they'd created the maw. And that was, you know, what he's going to do is going to break the prison of death that they're all stuck in. And that's an interesting thing to think about in terms of how he got Devos to believe in him, because Devos was loyalty. You know, Devos was the head of, of loyalty. Yeah, and I, th- and I think that's a really important point that you make, and I think we need to keep in mind, especially when we're dealing with the story of Bastion, is that they're not really bad guys in the traditional sense. They're serving a master, and they're serving what they think is right, but they're they're still trying to do the right thing. We've talked about this a lot. Like There are certain levels of villainy in storytelling. There's the mustache-twirling villain that is you know, the complete snidely whiplash, right? A Gul'dan. The Gul'dans of this world. Uh, Then you have the Illidans that, yeah, he was a bad guy for the choices that he made, but he thought he was doing the right thing. You know, Illidan was the bad guy of the the ends justify the means type. The kind of person, one of the things I I mentioned from time to time is the sunk cost fallacy. Mm -hmm. The sunk cost fallacy basically breaks down to people convincing themselves, I can't stop now because I've already done X. And Uther's not Uther. Uh, Arthas is a really great example of this. Yep. Arthas keeps getting worse and worse, and he keeps convincing himself that he has to keep getting worse because he's already done this. And if he stops now, he will have failed, and he will have failed after doing that. And it just keeps getting worse. That's the kind of thing that Illidan's a master of. Illidan loved to convince himself that, oh, I have to sacrifice the, the sorcerers that are working with me during this, the, the War of the Ancients because I need the power to defeat the Legion. Okay, I have to do this, even though these people are going to get killed. I have to sacrifice all these various people 
Um, I have to sacrifice, you know, all these lives to to open this portal to so I can send my demon hunters through to Mardoon. I have to do these things because ultimately the prize is survival of everything. And if I don't do it, then we'll all die and it will they'll all be dead anyway. And so step by step he convinces himself that the the, the terrible things he does are necessary. And that's the thing. Most people aren't mustache twirling villains. Mm-hmm. They're either motivated by self profit or by that belief that their their decisions are necessary, that they're making the hard decisions that have to be made. That's the thing. There, there's that old the, that old saying like you 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 either die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain type thing. Yeah, or the old the idea yeah, that you know every every heart has its reasons. Yeah, everyone thinks you know. He, there's a there's a line in um of all things, I was like I've been playing AC Valhalla a lot recently. Um, one part somebody betrays your character and and you ultimately hunt them down and kill them. But when another person is like that that bastard, I can't believe he betrayed me, and you turn to him and say he was the hero in his own story. Like in his mind, he was loyal to his people, and he was fighting to defend them against a, some, an invader. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, he betrayed you, but to him, that was the right thing to do. And that's that's something to keep in mind with a lot of this. Very few villains are Goldon. You don't, you can't sustain a franchise with with a lot of Goldons in it. No, it gets boring after a while because well, more importantly, everybody's betraying everybody all the time for their own aggrandizement. There's no conflict. Right. You you they you know they're all going to betray each other. Denathrius is that kind of guy. Denathrius is the kind of guy that well it'll benefit me so sure. But it's interesting to have characters like Devos who are loyal but they're loyal to an ideal. And that ideal can mean that they'll end up betraying you personally when they think you personally don't live up to that ideal. And that's the the whole bit with Kyrestia and Devos. Devos is loyal to the end, but what Devos is loyal to is the Kyrian as an abstract thing not to the individual people in it. So there, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of stuff going on with the Bastion storyline. And, and with all of the Shadowlands, for that matter, because Maldraxxus, Viraz is is loyal to the ideals of, of Maldraxxus as he sees them. When you confront Viraz and you're with uh, Mograin, and Mograin's calling him a traitor, he goes, I'm not the traitor. I beat him. I'm the Gamargrave now. I, you know, I did what you know. You're, you're only as strong as your allies. I remembered the Primus's teachings. I, I'm the guy. From Viraz's perspective, he's the pro. He's doing things the way you're supposed to do them. Yeah, and I mean, and if you think about it too, like even with the the swerve from Eldraxus with the two houses aligning themselves with the Jailer and trying to invade, they're literally doing what they were met, like told to do. It's be the strongest, follow the strongest. And with the Primus gone, like gone, gone, who was the strongest, who probably could keep everybody in line, who else are they going to follow? Then you have this entity shows up that is, you know, as strong or stronger than the Primus, as is evident by the fact that the Primus is gone after trying to deal with it. Uh, then, yeah, of course they're going to follow the strongest. And then if that strongest goes, the rest of the Shadowlands is weak. You know, they look to us for protection. Take them, take them all, make them stronger. They're just adhering to the purpose. Like they're adhering to the lie that they were told or to their the task they were originally. And that is yeah. massively important. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, all perspective. perspective. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, we're kind of sidetracked here pretty strongly, but still, I think it's it's valuable to consider. 
Yeah, and I think so too. Uh, hopefully that's going to answer your question at least somewhat, and hopefully you guys enjoy the tangent, but I think that's going to do it for time for us today. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads free site experience. Uh, again, if you have questions for the podcast, be sure to send them in uh, to podcast at blizzardwatch or one of our various Discord channels. Uh, we do appreciate the interactions from you. Uh, we appreciate you guys sending us in tips, tricks. Um, thank you, those of you out there that sent us images of discovered gnome souls in the Shadowlands. I appreciate that. Those were literally the first time I saw gnomes in Shadowlands, with souls at least. Uh, keep those coming to us. I, I enjoy watching those and seeing what you guys find out there. Uh, but with that, I think we're going to be good, and we will see you guys next week. 